black, proud, independent, determined, educated, resilient, compassionate, batty, funny, quirky, unique, creative, thoughtful, sincere, loyal, gutsy, vibrant, resourceful, imaginative, engaging, fabulous, awesome. Those are all words that describe me, the Brick City Brown Chick. Welcome to my podcast, What I Know Now. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome back to What I Know Now. I am your host, the Brick City Brown Chick, and this is episode five, Getting It Together. What is the it in this case? The it is your life. I think as a collective, and by that I mean Americans, we are extremely hard on our young people. And by young people, I mean end of high school, so 17, 18 to mid-20s, 24, 25. We have an expectation that they are going to get out of high school, know what they want to do, be, say, have their life figured out, and go out and do it. Now, a lot of people argue with me on that point and say, okay, but we did it, meaning all the generations before them, the Gen X did it, the boomers did it, the silent generation people did it, the World War One people did it. It's like, suck it up, buttercup. Figure out your life and get to it. That's a lot easier said than done. Um, so this episode is going to be a message both for younger people trying to figure it out and also to their parents who really want them to go figure it out. I went to a Catholic private all-girls school. Yeah, that's a mouthful, and there'll be some stories in later episodes about my adventures in uh, all-girl high school. Not, not those kinds of stories, but it was complicated. Uh, the school I went to, the way they divided kids up or the girls up was by groups. So the A group were the super smart you know, mostly 4.0, international baccalaureate. They were taking two languages besides English, going to the Ivy League girls. Group B were your higher than average intelligence, smart but not overly smart, kids who liked school and liked learning and got, you know, A's and B's, 
but also wanted to have a life outside of school and not obsess about their grades. So that was group B. Group C were your average intelligence to higher than average intelligence girls who were better at some subjects than others. And so they couldn't be the super advanced kids and they couldn't be the advanced kids. They were the average kids. And I think in any other high school, the C group girls would have been the smartest girls. But that's just how our school was set up. I was a B group girl and had no problem with that. My problem was with math. I was great at conceptual math, like geometry, trigonometry, those things I had no problem with. Algebra, algebra was like banging my head on a wall. It was the worst course, courses. I had to take algebra one and algebra two. I struggled so hard, got a tutor, worked really hard, but it was just not my scene. When I was in school, the theory was that you worked harder at things you were not good at so you so that you could become good at them the landscape on that thought process has changed thankfully for this generation coming up and now the focus is focus on the things you're good at so that you can get better at them because this is part of what's going to shape your future as opposed to struggling to try to get good at something that you're never going to be good at and that's the truth because I am still not good at algebra. Oh, these many years after high school, it was just, it was just a very painful struggle. So my high school focused very heavily on careers and career counseling. I think I was in career counseling starting in sophomore year. And you take all these tests and all these assessments to try to figure out, A, what you're good at and B, how you're going to take that and turn it into some sort of career and life. And at 15, 16, do you really know what you want to do with your life? I knew some girls in my high school who did. Like I said, those girls who were heading to the Ivy League, who, you know, their entire lives, all their parents wanted them to be was a doctor. So they were going to Yale, and then they were going to med school, and they were going to be a doctor and great good for them most of us were not that way we were just trying to figure out what we were going to do with the rest of our lives so i went through career counseling sophomore year junior year senior year and by senior year my career counselor who was a wonderful woman named sister regina she was super patient with all of us and was really like, listen, you need to figure out what's going to be best for you, not your parents, not worrying about going to the same college your friends are going to, like you need to focus on you. And that was a pretty radical notion for a nun, first of all, but for Catholic school in general. So my graduating class, when we graduated high school, we were the 50th graduating class from that school. And we were the first class where no one was going into the convent. Nobody was becoming a nun. 
and our principal, Sister Anne, was infuriated that nobody was becoming a sister. So that was pretty funny. She gave us an interesting speech on graduation day about learning to be more selfless. So it was pretty funny. But then I got to college and my freshman year of college was a huge hurdle for me. It was a huge uh, hoop to jump through, shall we say. My father died February of my senior year of high school. So I was, it was six months later and I was still reeling from that. And now I had to be in this environment where I was six hours away from home and I was expected to figure it out. And in that case, figuring out meant a lot of different things. Thankfully, my mother was, uh, a super strong-willed person in terms of she was going to make sure that when I went to school, I knew the things I needed to know how to do. So I did my own laundry. I could cook for myself if, if it came down to that. All those things that a lot of kids struggle with in college, that was never my issue. You still got to find the time to do those things. But doing them, learning how to do them, I already knew how to do them. That was that was not a problem. The issue in college came with, you know, picking my courses and really figuring out what I was going to focus on. Um, I think I said in a previous episode that I wanted to be a creative writing major. That is really what I wanted. Um, writing is something I've been doing since I was a little kid. Since I learned how to write, I've been writing short stories and and novels and all that sort of thing. Po I used to write poetry, really awful poetry, but I used to write poetry. And so it was really about, as my mother said, finding a practical major because what are you going to do with a writing degree? So I became a journalism major and I, there are, there are maybe a handful of schools who still offer journalism as a major nowadays. But back when I was in college, you know, being a journalist was still a prestigious and well-respected profession. Now, it was not a well-paying profession unless you work for, you know, CBS or NBC, like you hit the big time, the national organizations. But like if you were going to go work for a magazine or a newspaper or whatever as some no-name journalism graduate who just got out of college, you were not going to make a lot of money. That was never the focus. I wanted to make enough money to take care of myself, but I wasn't trying to be rich and famous. I wasn't trying to be the next Barbara Walters. Like that that was not my mindset. So when I decided on being a journalism major, my mother kind of went okay, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> and so I went through college for four years and, and graduated and got my degree. And then it was time to go out into the world and figure it out. My first job, I worked at a magazine. This was the early 90s. So I remember clearly what I made. I made $17,000 a year which in retrospect is kind of like, I have no idea how in the world I lived on $17,000 in 
in the DC metro area, even back then. It was crazy. But I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. It was an international magazine that dealt with international trade and like where Americans could, who had import export businesses could go establish their business. So it was a super interesting place to work. The editor was sort of a grizzled 50 something guy. He'd been doing this for years. He lived on coffee and cigarettes. I mean, it was like a, it was like a scene straight out of like all the president's men. If you've never seen that movie, see that movie. It's about Watergate and the Washington Post role in Watergate. So you got to see the newsroom and the reporters in the 70s and the typewriters and the smoking. He was straight out of central casting for that kind of thing. Um, but eventually the magazine shuttered and then I had to go off and find a new job. And after the magazine, I started to work for nonprofits and associations. And that is really where I've spent the majority of my career is working for organizations that do various things. I worked for an organization that worked with people who were blind or visually impaired. And I worked in the communications department, but occasionally they would, you know, ask me to participate in events they were having or the people they served. And I learned so much at that job. I really did. And it wasn't so much about my career, learning things for my career, although I did learn things for my career too. It was also about learning the challenges that people live with. I mean, of course, I was in my mid-20s by that point. I met people who were blind. It wasn't like that was a foreign concept, but really understanding the day-to-day and of their lives and things that they needed was super interesting and informative. So that led me down a path that I didn't expect, is what I will say. When I left college, I really thought, you know, I was going to be a journalist. I was going to work for a newspaper or a magazine or a TV station or something like that. And that's not the direction my life took. My life really went down the association nonprofit path. Those are not places where you're going to make a lot of money. I think most people know that, but if you don't, that that's just one of those fundamental things. And I have never been a person who has sat back and said, "Okay, I want to make the, you know, I want to make as much money as possible because I want to do this, this, this and this." My perspective has always been, "Do I have enough money to take care of myself?" You know, if something happens tomorrow, do I have a safety net? Do I have a nest egg? Things like that. And I think that's, that makes me probably a little different uh, than most of the people I know or have known. And I just think people who have the mindset and the ability to work in associations and nonprofits are just very different than people who have the ability to work in corporate America and to thrive and be happy in that environment. 
in my career, I worked for exactly one organization that was, I guess you'd call it corporate. It was a law firm. I worked there for, I think, five months and hated it 80% of the time. It was so cutthroat and so nasty and nobody wanted to help anybody because everybody was afraid you were after their job. It was insanity and I was just miserable. And I knew from that brief experience that that was not the kind of organization I was going to work for again, that I would not go down that road again. And I went back to, I guess what you'd say, what was comfortable. Now, people will always make the argument of how do you grow if you keep doing what's comfortable? And what I say to that is you can continue to grow and be comfortable as long as you keep changing up the script. Now, in my case, what that meant is I would work at a job for two, maybe three years after I'd gone through a couple of cycles of what I was doing, because in the world of associations and nonprofits, uh, their work is very circular or circular. That's what I'll say. And so what that means is, you know, if every year you have an award ceremony, okay, the award ceremony is the same time every year, so you've got to do all the prep and all that sort of thing. So once I'd go through two or three cycles, I sit back and go, okay, I'm starting to get bored. That means it's time for me to find another job. That doesn't that didn't mean it was time for me to find a job in corporate America. It meant it was time for me to find another job at a nonprofit or association but do different work. If I'd been a communications specialist in one place, it was time to move up to being a communications manager or being a deputy director or whatever. So that's how I always explain to people, this is how you can be comfortable in who you are and where you are, but continue to grow and continue to expand your skills and change. Now, the job I've had, well, the organization I've worked for, for the last dozen years or so, it's the longest I've ever worked for any organization, is a huge organization called the federal government. <laughs> and that, that's all I'll say about that, because they really don't like their employees talking about them all that much. But I've worked for the same organization for those 12 years. I worked for the same office. And it is, this is not something I ever would have predicted. And it was a situation where I sort of, you know, fell into this job. I'd been a contractor and then they, you know, wanted to bring me on. And so that's what happened. Yeah. Working for the federal service is not something I ever, ever would have predicted partially because my husband works for the federal government. Now he works for a different agency. He's worked for that agency over 30 years, which is just mind boggling. But I've always felt very strongly that I didn't think both of us should work for the government because what if the government runs out of money and then neither of us has a job? And you always say to me, the government never runs out of money. If they do, they'll print more. Like it's just a 
He's just very pragmatic that way. Working for the government definitely has its challenges. Not just that lots of people seem to hate you and think you don't do any work, but there are also internal uh, challenges. I'd say working for the government for me is closer to working for a for-profit in terms of feeling than working for a non-profit. The good thing about it is it's different every day. You really have no idea what's going to happen. You can have your day planned out, but there's always going to be other stuff. So if you had asked me when I was 22 or 23, whether I thought this is where my life would be at 53, I probably would have laughed. Like This is not the expectation I had for my life. Now, I didn't have a lot of concrete expectations. Like I said, it wasn't like a, I want to be rich and famous kind of thing. But my life has turned out differently than I thought it would. And that's okay. One of the things I think we need to get to as a society, as an American society, is that different is not bad. Different doesn't have to be bad or stressful or challenging. It's just different. And not just about like who people are and how they identify themselves, but how they live their life. One thing I've always said is someone wants to live their life a certain way, great. That does not affect me in any way, shape, or form. And it's one of those things I don't understand about people who are, you know, anti-gay or anti-LGBT. It's like, it doesn't affect you. If they are living their lives and being happy, what does that have to do with you? So that's how I feel about my work life. Do I feel very differently about it now in my 50s than I did in my 20s? Absolutely. Absolutely. Work, one of the sort of very few heated conversations my husband and I have is about what work is. And what I've concluded is men and women just look at work differently. My husband always says, work is what I need to do to have and do the things I want to do. And I totally understand that. I get that perspective. His career trajectory has been different from mine. He graduated high school. He decided he didn't want to go to college. He went straight into federal service. He is a third generation federal employee. His grandmother uh, worked for the federal service, as did his mother, and as does he. When he started working for the government, uh, he worked in the janitorial department. And that's about the time that I met him. And he said that never phased him, never bothered him, because A, he knew he wasn't going to be there forever. And B, it was a, you know, it was a steady paycheck. It was a way for him to have the money to take care of himself. Now, over the years, he's gone through, like I said, he's worked for the same agency for more than 30 years. So he's gone through several jobs and several different transitions. 
And what he does now is a proofreader. He went through an apprenticeship program for four years to become a proofreader. And that's what he does. And he loves it. My view on work is if I am not fulfilled at work, the rest of my life doesn't work well. <laughs> and so he's gone through a few times with me where I've been frustrated and fed up and no longer want to deal with things with work. And that's when he's had to talk me off the ledge and say, listen, work is work. It's just how you get money to do other things. But I've never really embraced that. Excuse me. At one point he said, you seem to feel like your work life should be better because you went to college and got a degree. And I was like, you're damn right. <laughs> that was the point. The point of me going to college and get a degree was so that my work life could be better. And he just sort of shakes his head at that and laughs because he, he's like, okay, we've both gotten to working for the federal government. We came at this from totally different ways, but we're both here now. And I understand what he's saying. But I also understand that if I hadn't taken the journey I took, my current work life wouldn't be what it is. I think a lot of young people these days, especially, ask themselves, what is the point of me going to college? I don't want to end up with all this debt. I don't want to spend the rest of my life paying it back. This is going to stagnate my progress in terms of, you know, if I find somebody I love and I want to spend my life with, and we both have several hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, then what? Like, how are we ever going to get out of that debt? And what I figured out over the years, what, what I've learned, what I know now that I didn't know in my 20s, is that for most professions, now I'm not talking about being a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. I'm talking about for most professions, people want you to have a degree, not because so much they care about the degree and what the degree is in. They want you to have a degree because a degree proves that you can commit to something, something hard, and see it through. So it's really not about the piece of paper you got. It's not about what you majored in. It's about you sat down, you made the commitment, said, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. And you did it. Through all the ups and downs and struggles and difficulties, you got it done. So it shows a potential employer that you can commit. And that's really what they're looking for. So that's what I've I've learned over the years about having a college degree. It's not so much for the most part what it's in. It's the fact that you made the commitment. People have asked me over the course of my life when I was in college, did I ever consider quitting? Yep. Every, well, I won't say every day, but 
fairly frequently. I went to college in a place where there were not a lot of black people, uh, either on campus or off campus. It was just this town in the middle of nowhere. And when I was a freshman, upperclassmen sat down the freshmen and were like, listen, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. You can be off campus at this time, but make sure you're with some other people. Like all these things that I was like, okay, I have entered the twilight zone. Like what decade is this? I was a freshman in 1988. And I was like, are we sure this is in 1958? Like, what is this place? But I survived. And not only did I survive, I thrived. I made good grades. I made friends. I joined clubs. Like all those things you're supposed to do in college. I did all that. And I had a good time. If I had to do it again, would I do it again in that particular place? Probably not. <laughs> that I honestly have to say, no, I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it that particular way again, but I'm glad I did it. When I was deciding where I was going to go to college and, and, you know, how I was going to figure it out, by that point, my father was very sick, but he was still very much involved in my decision making and what I was going to do. And so one day I went to the hospital to visit him and he said, okay, so you're getting ready to go to college. We're going to an all women's college, aren't we? And after having just spent four years in an all-girls school, having learned the insanity, the treachery, the jealousy, the backstabbing, all those things that not all women do, but women are very capable of doing, I looked at him and said, all right, Dad, I'm going to need you to pardon my French on this one, but there is no way in hell I'm going to an all-women's college. <laughs> and he just sort of looked at me and said, but Spelman is a really good school. And I said, you're absolutely right, Dad. Spelman is a really good school, but I will not be going there. I cannot take a whole bunch of women for another four years. I just can't do it. <laughs> so that was one of the few times in my life I really had to say, yeah, I love you, Dad, but mm, that that ship has sailed. I've I've done my time with the all women outfit, and that wasn't even about boys or like wanting to meet somebody. It wasn't even about that. It was just that I just could not take that level of insanity uh, for college. Hi high school was plenty. So what I want uh, young people to know is that it does get better. You do figure things out. It may not turn out the way you thought it was going to, but that doesn't mean it doesn't turn out well. This is not what I expected for my life when I was 23, but at 53, I can say, yeah, I have a good life. For parents of these teens and, and early 20-something people who come to you and say, listen, I'm having a hard time trying to figure it out, trying to make this work, but I have some struggles, be patient with them and, and help them understand that they don't have to have their whole life figured out right now at 22. 
things are going to come along and move the needle and change things, but they'll figure it out like you did as their parents, like their grandparents did, like their great grandparents did. We all figure it out eventually, but everybody's on their own timetable. So that's what I know now. I want to thank everybody for joining me this week. I hope you got something out of my humorous stories. And I will see you again next week. Thank you.